Let's talk about money. <laughs> it's something that I think it's safe to say we, we think about a lot. And if we're honest, uh, probably a lot of us, uh, depending on the season of life, the employment situation, the kids at college situation, it's something that, that we have some anxiety about as well. Now, it encourages me to know that Jesus thinks about it as well. Uh, he knows that it is on our mind. Um, he understands our anxiety about finances, our struggles with money are absolutely on his radar. Know that. Jesus absolutely knows about our concerns about money. And check this out. Did you know, did you know that Jesus had more to say about money in the New Testament than he did about heaven and hell combined? Okay? He knows it's on our hearts. He knows it's on our minds. In fact, of, of his 38 parables that he told, roughly half of them have to do with how we handle money, with how we handle our possessions. And Jesus, here's the deal, he always goes deeper, right? He knows that our money issues aren't just a source of, of stress. Um, he knows that our money issues are often the number one competitor for our affections, the number one competitor for our love when it comes to our relationship with the Lord. In fact, this is what he said in Matthew 6. You'll recall this. He said, No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one, and despise the other, you cannot, Jesus said, serve both God and money. Leave that up there if you would. Let's go back. Let's rewind this. And if you would read this with me. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Okay. A lot of good news in that, I think, because Jesus in that also understands how a healthy view of money... By the way, he never says money is bad. It's loving money that's problematic, right? And in that, we see this, this good news that Jesus understands that a healthy view of money can actually change our lives for the good, can bring freedom and joy, and I think relief from some of that anxiety. When we are right on the money, when we're right on the money, joy flows in and generosity flows out. Now, we're going to do just a couple of weeks on money because, like I said, there's a lot from Jesus uh, to share when it comes to money. Uh, we're going to go to some ancient wisdom, wisdom from the Bible, but I believe it is wisdom that will sound very, very contemporary, very, very today to most of us. Now, the first time I started thinking seriously about money, when you're a little kid, you don't worry about it much. I mean, the tooth fairy brings some money, maybe, maybe you get a little allowance or something, uh, but your parents pay for everything. And the first time I started thinking seriously about money was in my early teens, and that is when I had my first job mowing lawns, and then I got my first kind of like real job, if you will, uh, delivering furniture and helping in a warehouse at a furniture company. And so for the first time, John Scott, I had a little bit of cash coming in beyond the allowance my parents gave me, and yes, 
it felt good. I enjoyed that cash. Um, I got a ATV, you know, all-terrain vehicle, little Honda, really loved that, enjoyed that for a while. And when I finally got bored of that, I decided to start thinking about my financial future. I sold that ATV for $600. True story. I walked down. We lived right by the town square, all right? I walked down the steps and down the sidewalk into downtown Neosho, Missouri. I walked into the stockbroker's office. I was probably 14, 15 years old. And I talked to him about stocks, about investments, about the markets, things like that. Then after I thought a little bit and I researched a little bit, my dad took the Wall Street Journal, so that was my research, um, I decided on buying stocks with those 600 That was all the money I had. And so I put $300 into this computer company that was doing well, that looked like it would continue to do well. $300 into this um, aerospace engineering company that was producing some components for NASA, you know, for some of our satellites and things like that. And so that's what I did with my money. I was going to be rich, right? I mean, I knew it. I knew these things were going to take off. And I was just going to sit around counting my money. I would never have to work again, right? Well, er, so early on, and you might identify with this, um, I was checking those stocks constantly. By the way, no internet, okay? No, no web checking. No, was the, the Wall Street Journal shows up. You open it up. Oh, there's my stock. It went up or it went down yesterday. So I did that, uh, maybe not on a daily basis, but I did that with really frequently in the beginning. Um, and then I kind of forgot about it and lost touch for probably two or three years before I finally decided to, to check on those stocks again. Guess what? I, I checked on those stocks, and they were worth $3.5 million. Okay, I'm kidding. They weren't. <laughs> um, otherwise, yeah, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, those two companies no longer existed. Seriously. Those stock certificates were worth zero dollars. And thank God for some of those lessons that we learned. Some of them are from older, wiser people. Some of them are from our successes. A lot of them, honestly, are from things that didn't go so well, right? And I learned that, you know, investments are a good thing, but they are... There's a volatility there. There are no guaranteed investments. Well, Jesus comes along and says, well, mm, there is one fund that is guaranteed. He says in Matthew 6.20, the CEO of the universe says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, invest in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and we put that together with what we read earlier, what he said in that same chapter about, you know, I can't serve two masters. I can't serve God and money. I learned that, you know, basic thing, and you know this, but either I master my money or my money masters me, right? And we know how that's supposed to work. We're not supposed to be mastered by money. In fact, we're not supposed to be mastered by anything, by food, by sex, by anything except Jesus Christ, all right, our Lord and Savior. Well, Jesus helps us out. Like I said, he told a lot of stories about us and our money. And one of those stories is in Luke chapter 12, and it's, it's a good one. 
It's a story about a farmer, a rich farmer. Uh, he is essentially li living the American dream or maybe the, um, the Palestinian, the Israeli dream, all right, uh, in the first century. Um, he has made some, he's worked hard, okay, made some shrewd tactical choices uh, with regards to his business. And his farming enterprise has really taken off. Um, harvests are getting bigger and bigger. In fact, it gets to the point where he doesn't even have room to store all of his, all of his production, all of his, all of his crops. So this knack for farming, this, this work ethic, a guy who work, wakes up early and works hard, business savvy, and his, his business then is prospering really beyond his wildest dreams. So successful that no longer is he able in his warehouse space uh, is he able to keep all of this all of this stuff all of this inventory so he gets together with his architect and they devise um, some plans to build some some like mega barns some mega warehouses to store uh, his bumper crops now remember um, his goal like many goals you know I want to get to the point where I can kind of take it easy where I don't have to wake up early and work and so that is his goal to get to where he can just kick back and, and, and retire essentially and now I'm going to stop the story goes on but I just want to stop and this is I guess this is kind of the painful part but as Jesus says so, so often in his, in his teaching he who has ears let him hear in other words not everyone's willing to endure the pain of, of kind of holding up the mirror if you're willing then then go with me here i think that's what god is inviting us to do we live in a very prosperous time and a very prosperous place um, i in fact i would say america is a uniquely prosperous place at some point um, we collectively americans we saw our stuff grow to the point that we could no longer store it, you know, in, in the hope chest, right, at the foot of the bed. And so we started, at one, you can go back and study this, at some point we started building built-in closets to store our, our stuff. Uh, and at some point we filled up those closets, right? And um, we started filling up our attics, right? Uh, and those attics got pretty full, and that garage got pretty full. In fact, some of us may not even be able to, I won't ask for a show of hands, but some of us may not even be able to park the cars in the garage anymore. Oh, yeah, we have cars too, okay? Um, so that garage got pretty full. Uh, we started buying outbuildings. Let's put, we got to have more space, so we put it out. And some of us have even started, you know, going to self-storage facilities to put, to put stuff there as well. Got a lot of stuff. I just think if, we're, if we have ears to hear, eyes to see, this story should speak to us maybe even more than it speaks to, to a lot of folks around the world. So back to the story. After years of working, dawn till dusk, dawn till dusk, um, storing up, accumulating wealth for himself, the big shot here is finally at a point where he feels like, I can stop working and enjoy retirement. And then you probably remember the, <laughs> the abrupt ending to his story. Jesus just says, and that very night, God took his life. Boom. Dead. The verge of retirement, gone. 
funeral service. And he concludes, Jesus does, with this, I think, sobering thought. Luke chapter 12, verse 21. He says, he's going to generalize here so that we all get on the hook, so to speak. He says, this is how it will be with who? With anyone. With anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. Now, the story, I believe, is intended to be a wake-up call uh, to us about how we handle our money. Um, And what I want us to do is we're going to look this morning at five very simple uh, biblical principles about how we handle our money, kind of a healthy view of of finances or or getting right on the money. Um, So, let's start out with the very first thing here, which is making a declaration of dependence, right? Making a declaration of dependence. We often think of financial independence. Well, I think a healthy biblical view of finance starts with a declaration of not independence, but dependence. Remembering who owns my stuff, right? God owns my stuff. I get to use it for 50 years, 60 years, 70 years, 80, 100 years, but he essentially owns it. All that monopoly money goes back in the box when I die, okay? I don't get to take that with me. Now, we have a part to play. Yes, we have a part to We work, right? We dream. We go to school and get trained. Um, we spend and we save. We have a part to play, but never forget, never ever forget, God owns your stuff. Psalm 24. Well, let's go back and hit that proverb. Proverb 30, verses 7 and 8. Proverb 37 and 8. Here's this prayer. He prayed, uh, God, I'm asking for enough food to live on, neither too much or too little. So essentially, this is a person who's praying and who is very conscious of the fact God is the source. I'm asking you, God, for enough, right? And then we have Psalm 24, one that says the earth and everything in it belongs to the Lord, belongs to the Lord. Now, the big shot, if you remember in that story, he is so engrossed, right, in, in his plans, in his work, in his part, uh, in his returns on his work, his retirement dreams, he just never really stops and thinks about where all of this is coming from, who gave him life, who gave him help, who gave him opportunities, who makes those crops grow, he never thinks about God. So this is a principle just about, and there's freedom here, keeping things in perspective, just a balanced view of finances, uh, that the stuff I have is not mine, it's his, right? Um, I love, this is one of my favorite verses about our stuff in the New Testament. Paul, talking to his young protege, Timothy, says in 1 Timothy 6, 7, For we brought nothing into the world. You were not born with a diamond ring on your finger, okay? We brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. So here's another principle that I'm positive will bless us if we 
put this to work in our lives. That second principle is this. It is act your wage. <laughs> act your wage. Live on less than you make, okay? This is not rocket science. Why would we say this? Well, of course, because most Americans don't, right? We'll talk about that in a minute. Act your wage. Um, this is many Proverbs here this morning. The Proverbs talk a lot about our stuff. Proverbs 21, verse 17 Whoever loves pleasure will be a poor man. He who loves wine and oil will not be rich. And I hear that proverb about, oh, all the good stuff, the luxury items, and I'm thinking, hey, big spender. That person is going to have problems, the Bible says. Our friend Dave Ramsey is the one I'm stealing this from. He talks about act your wage, act your wage. Um, translation, if you're a compulsive spender, if you just need to spend, you're going to end up in trouble, right? Um, now, part of the challenge for us is, is unique to our time in history. It has never, I, I can't compare my life in a lot of extents to what it was like in the first century or before or after, but I can, I can pretty confidently affirm it has never been easier to compare what I have or don't have with what you have or don't have or someone in another state or in another part of the country or another part of the world. It is so easy because of social media. Thank you, Instagram. Thank you, Facebook. Thank you, Twitter. And so we see what others have and, and we start comparing and we feel like we're missing out. FOMO, fear of missing out. We, we have that. Um, we start comparing. And, and so... Oftentimes, not everybody, but often there's a, there's a bump up in the spending there, isn't there? Um, we look at the car they drive. We look at the home they live in. We look at the private school their kids go to. We look at the neighborhood they live in. We look at the vacation they took. Um, and we spend. And we stop acting our wage. Now, would it be fair to say possessions, money, that that is... That's kind of how we keep score in America. I mean, I'm, again, not going to judge for the whole world. Isn't that kind of a score? Oh, that guy's a success. Oh, she's a big-time success. Look at all the money. That's the scoreboard, right? Um, and Jesus says that's a bad scoreboard. That's a lousy scoreboard. He says in that parable, Luke chapter 12, verse 15, Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions or her possessions. That's not how the scoreboard works. That's not how success is determined. So turn it off. Um, enjoy what you have. Quit comparing what you have or don't have to someone else and start acting your wage. Three, avoid debt. Again, no rocket science, no earth-shattering statements this morning, but reminders, avoid debt. Debt is a problem, not a solution, all right? Debt is a problem, not a solution. And, and the Bible talks a lot about this, Old Testament and New Testament. One of those verses is in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 7. The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is a slave, to the lender. Strong language. There's an enslavement that can happen, a loss of freedom, a confinement, 
a sense of, of being owned that can occur, the Bible says. And right now, I'm so happy. Financial Peace has just started. It's going on here at Preston Crest. And so many of us have been blessed by the Financial Peace University ministry. It's one of several that we have to help people out with their finances. But this one has set a lot of people free from debt. Um, so, by the, so footnote, free of charge. If, don't lose hope. I mean, we've got so many stories. I'd love to tell you about some of them uh, if you want to come to me and talk. But um, so many stories here. Dozens of couples were in debt, you know, up to here and actually were able to get out of that. Um, so debt enslaves. Um, it's a problem for a lot of folks. In fact, here you go. Average household debt in the U.S. has gone up 11% in just the last 10 years, right? The, and this one kind of blew me away. The average, the average household credit card debt is now just over $16,000. The average in America, just over $16,000. And that's just credit card debt. It's kind of scary, right? Now, debt, according to the Bible, again, we read, it enslaves. Now, I'm not one of those guys who's going to tell you, hey, credit cards are an evil that must be abolished. Um, they can be pretty handy, right? Um, when they get paid off regularly, they can be pretty handy. When they don't get paid off regularly, there's this enslavement that happens. Reminds me of that lady who once said, Gordon, I'm, I'm really looking forward to paying off my, all my debt so I can get back to just being broke. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> all right, next. Save responsibly. And we're not just going to say save because the guy in the story, right, was saving. He was a really good saver, okay? We want to talk about saving responsibly. Saving, investing, and this is that phrase I love to use. It can be a good thing when it's not a God thing, when it's not numero uno for you, all right? The Bible says, and I love this, how it picks out the most insignificant creature, right? The ant. And it says, check out the ant. Even they know how to save. Uh, Proverbs 30, verse 25, ants are creatures of little strength, or one version says of no count. Yet they store up, they store up food in the summer, They're tiny, but they're smart. They save. Summer, they think. Summer is great. Ah, but winter is coming. Let's store some up. So part of being right on the money is that. It's setting aside, right, for, for emergencies. Having a little set aside for emergencies or retirement. Or kids are going to start college here in a couple of years. Setting a little aside for that. Setting a little aside uh, for that big purchase. Or, you know. But is it possible? This is the question. So we've got that. But is it possible to save too much? Yes, it is. It is possible to save too much. When saving moves from being a good thing to a God thing, it is sinful. When, it, when saving makes you stingy, when it makes you tight-fisted with the kingdom of God, with the things of God, the needs of others, then that is not responsible saving. That is not godly saving, right? Um, the rich farmer in the story, he is a saver. He is an investor, just not in the things of God. And James, by the way, this is one of those passages in the Bible where you can just tell the writer is kind of ticked off, 
okay? James is a little ticked off here. James talks to wealthy people that he was uh, in fellowship with, wealthy Christians, and this is what he writes. And see if you can't feel the tone of this. I think you'll catch it right off. Maybe a little finger wagging here in this letter. Look here, you rich people. (laughs) Wow, okay? Your wealth is rotting away. And your fine clothes are moth-eaten rags. Your gold and silver have become worthless. The very wealth, what? The very wealth you were counting on will eat away your flesh like fire. The treasure you have accumulated will stand as evidence. Exhibit A. The treasure you have accumulated will stand as evidence against you on the day of judgment. Perhaps one of the scarier passages in the New Testament right there. Greed, hoarding, accumulation for me without regard to others or the kingdom, that gets judged. (laughs) Prudently saving for the future, prudent investing, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. Hoarding is not. So let's get to the final right-on-the-money principle this morning. And it's about giving. Live to give. Live to give. Generosity frees my heart from greed, and it partners me with the Lord. Amen? Isn't that what it does? Um, Live to give. This involves my relationship with God. You know, we have a vision here at Preston Crest. Passion for God, compassion for people. It involves both, right? Being generous, live to give, involves my passion for God, and it involves my compassion for people. It involves both of those, because those people are what? They're made in the image of God, right? So I love God, I love people made in the image of God. So let's talk about passion first. This means give to God first, right? This isn't just preacher talk. Well, of course the preacher's saying that. No, give to God is all throughout the Bible. When we talk about our stuff, the phrase that's used in the Bible is your first fruits, or another word there would be your tithe. Um, so, Proverbs 3 9, honor the Lord with your wealth and with your first fruits. God off the top. Um, so, that phrase, we talked in, didn't we talk about that phrase last week? We were talking about Jesus. We were talking about our bodies and souls. We were talking about the resurrection that's coming. And in that story, remember how Paul called Jesus the first fruits? First fruits of the resurrection? Yes. Also, first fruits given to us. God so loved the world that he gave. His only begotten Son. God gave us His best. He gave us His first fruits of heaven, Jesus, so that our debts of sin could be canceled, could be wiped out. First fruits, right off the top. And right before that story, Jesus is setting up that parable He's going to tell about that entrepreneur there. And he says in Luke 12, 21, he says, this is going to be a story about being, quote, rich toward God. So the starting point for this in the Bible, we'll talk a little bit more about this next week, is tithing, which just means 
first 10%. And essentially the principle then is giving at least that first 10% back to God, back to the kingdom, back to the church. My passion for God, for sure, my passion for God involves more than money. Okay? My passion for God involves more than my money. It can't involve less. Right? I can't put my money... Well, God's not going to touch my money. I can't do that. So tithing 10% off the top, that just means means God gets paid first. He gets paid before the electric company, before T-Mobile. He gets paid before my favorite charity, my favorite good cause. Um, God gets paid before everything else. He gets my first fruits. Now, this idea, live to give, moves beyond that for sure, moves beyond my passion for God. It also involves those made in His image. It also involves my compassion for people. So write this down as well. Compassion, give to others in need. Now, I think you would agree with me. The rich farmer in the story, there's neither of these things, right? There is not passion for God revealed in the way he spends his money or saves his money. And there is not compassion for people either in that. His financial plans exist to serve his interests, his goals, his dreams, pretty cool a few years back. It's been a while now, but Preston Crest was actually mentioned in D Magazine, um, the Dallas Magazine, as the most, I'm serious, you can look this up, the most generous church in Dallas, Texas. Pretty cool, right? And we're not here to just pat ourselves on the back or whatever, but I thought that was pretty neat. And they, they measured that. They studied a lot of churches in the Metroplex, and they said Preston Crest gives a higher percentage of its offerings back to the community than any other church in Dallas. Now, it's been a while. And what they didn't show, though, I thought that was cool, but what they didn't show in their study was all of the giving that goes on throughout the week by our members in their workplace, in their neighborhood, in our city. Um, And some of our neighbors here in the Metroplex don't look a lot like us. Um, Some do, some don't. Um, But we love them all, right? Right? We're here, they're made in the image of God, and we're here to love them all in the name of Jesus. Live to give. Each and every one. Made in the image of God, loved by God. Jesus died for each and every one. And if we're right on the money, then we will use our treasure, and yes, our time and our talents to generously bless people around us who are in need. Now, this morning we have a lot of people who are at all different points along the faith journey. Some of you have been believers, have been disciples for years, decades even. Some of you are still at a point of you know, deciding, that, is this what I want for my life? You're counting the cost, so to speak. Um, and it's okay to be where you're at. You're here, and that's a good start to your week. Um, Now, some of you might be at a point where you're ready to give your life to Christ, to declare Him your Lord and Savior, to be buried with Him in the waters of baptism and start that new life with Jesus as your Lord and you as His disciple. We would love to help you with that in any way that we can, or maybe you need prayers this morning 
and would invite you to just use this time before you leave this room. If there's something on your heart before you leave this room, just to put your arm around somebody, ask for prayers, or pray over them. Don't even need a reason. Just being alive, all right, in this world is enough reason. We all need prayers. However you need to respond, stand as we worship and sing.